Hello and welcome back to Stadio Podcast and Ring FC. I'm Musa Kwonga. I'm bonus Ryan Hunt. <laughs> I'm bonus. I'm bonus. Yeah, do you know what? Upgrades. <laughs> after our massive bumper longest Stadio Podcast ever, we're back the day after. Everyone must be like, what the hell? Guys, give me a break. Then we should just keep recording more podcasts every half day, like an increasing number of podcasts. <laughs> By the end of the week, we record like a hundred episodes. It's like we've got four or five minute episodes today. Exactly. <laughs> oh gosh. I'm not going to ask you how you were because I saw you yesterday. That's and true. I spoke to you last yeah. night and then spoke yeah. to you this morning before we started recording. Well, I'll take the high ground and ask after your well-being. How are you, Ryan? Because I'm not taking for granted that just a few hours later. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> I've been out one good. Exactly. Um, you sound terrible. Kill me with kindness. Uh, yeah. yeah, yeah, I'm all right, man. I'm all right, thanks. Yesterday was a long day. Yeah, yeah. Um, we recorded for way too long. <laughs> we will not be doing that today. Um, yeah, no way. How are you? There you go. Let me say, how are you? Let's take a quick swig of this old H2O. Sorry. Oh, yeah. Right. Bringing a, a fan favorite yeah. earlier on in the set list <laughs> with the hydration was quite popular, I think. We got, a, we got a couple of people tweeting us about, good to hear the hydration at the beginning of the podcast. Someone made a tune for Instagram. Yeah, Daniel Copeman. Yeah, shout out to Daniel. Daniel actually made a track. Yeah. <laughs> it is New a radio show. Tonight's theme is water inspired by Okwonga and the Stadio Football Podcast. Snippets of the new track, The Virtues of Hydration. Yeah. A beautiful line from the last podcast. And it's like, I think it's 88 BP, uh, BPM as well. Yep. Eight <laughs> minutes long. 88 BPM. Exactly. Hashtag HG. <laughs> Incredible. Yeah, thanks, Daniel. Amazing. So today we're doing this bonus podcast because it's something that we've wanted to touch on for a little bit, especially in the last couple of weeks. Yeah. With the news that Macclesfield Town received a winding up order from a court in England last week, thanks to debts of £500,000. Mm. It's been an ongoing problem with Mac and it's also, it also follows on from a year that's seen Berry go into liquidation and expelled from the Football League. Wigan Athletic facing similar problems. Bolton Wanderers also. It was weird. I, I caught up with the last season of Sunderland Till I Die last week. Mm. I hadn't seen the second season. And I thought there was some parallels there as well. Right. It's very easy for these kind of stories just to get swept aside. And I think that, especially now that we're on the ringer and we have like quite a big US audience, I imagine, mm. although I, I don't want to see the stats. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Be careful you wish for. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm good. Thanks. Um, I thought it might be worth raising because I think Obviously, we are all pretty privy to, you know, the goings on at places like Barcelona and Bayern Munich and, you know, Manchester United and stuff like that. But the further down the table or the further down the leagues you get, I think, or the pyramid in England, the problems become very, very different. And I thought it would be really important for us to talk about this. Right. And there are a lot of crossovers, I think, in terms of with what's going on with COVID and the response to that in the UK and also. I don't think that it's any coincidence that a lot of this has happened in the last 10 years mm. in England specifically. It's not an England specific problem, but I think a lot of the societal and cultural aspects of it make it quite a specific English problem in this sense. But yeah, anyway, this is just going to be a bit of a us two shooting the shit a little bit about this yeah, little yeah. bonus episode. Yeah. Let's get into it after this. This episode is brought to you by Jiffy Lube. Cars can be a big investment, so it's important to take care of them. I once got a car that I started out with 25,000 miles on. I got it to over 200,000 miles because I took care of it. You know how you take care of a car? You take care of 
the maintenance, the oil, the brakes, all that stuff. And if you don't, you can have a car just completely fall apart. When your car needs maintenance, head to Jiffy Lube. They provide automotive excellence at speed. Get your oil changed, brakes checked, tons of other multi-care services. It's all done by expertly trained technicians who actually care about taking care of you and your car. Jiffy Lube, car more. To find coupons and start an instant online estimate, visit JiffyLube.com. This episode is brought to you by Cars.com. When you add your car to your garage on Cars.com, you'll unlock access to real-time insights into how much your car is worth. Plus, view its historical and projected value to decide when to sell. So when the time is right, you can secure an instant offer from a local dealership or sell it yourself on Cars.com. Start tracking your car's value with your garage on cars.com. All right, man. So for those who don't know about Macclesfield Town, Macclesfield, if any of you have caught the the train from London to Manchester or from Manchester to to London, you may be aware of Macclesfield, a town in Cheshire, a few stops from Manchester on the, well, what once was the Virgin train line from Manchester Piccadilly to London, Euston. The club itself has been around for 146 years and it's been a bit of a non-league stalwart. It's older than Manchester City. It's older than Manchester United. They are one of those names in English football that you just kind of hear about and one of those clubs that you just never imagine aren't going to be there. I think it was 16 years ago they got taken over by a new owner, Amal Al-Khadi, who's an Ibiza-based businessman. And the problem for the club started to really... Not, he didn't, they didn't start right then, but they kind of, it was this owner that kind of accelerated the club into the situation that it's in now. Yeah. I mean, maybe from the very beginning, slight warning signs, a lack of transparency about how much money exactly was going in. But, you know, yeah. initially there was some optimism as there is, mm-hmm. and there was an initial injection of a bit of money. So I think a lot of people were kind of like, okay, well, maybe see where it goes, but obviously um, it went. They got promoted into the Football League. Uh, a couple of times during his tenure, you know, and they obviously had ma- managers like Sol Campbell. The problem really started to ramp up over the last couple of years where Sol Campbell left suddenly and we didn't really know why. And it turned out that players weren't getting paid, that staff weren't getting paid. And even though their average attendance was, I think, below 2000, the number of fans started to become really disillusioned with the owner and started boycotting games. They were relegated from the Football League thanks to a 17-point deduction for repeatedly failing to pay players so it wasn't actually on the pitch that it cost them their football league status it was off the pitch that really signaled the beginning of the end for Macclesfield Town and ultimately they received a winding up order for a debt which was half a million pounds and this is where I think it I wanted to kind of expand on the topic really because it's not necessarily about Macclesfield Town specifically it's about Berry that went into liquidation last season and got expelled from the Football League. And again, Berry are a club very much like Macclesfield Town who have just, they've just been around. You just never would imagine that they weren't there. But the same kind of problems extend further up. If you look at the struggles that Bolton have gone through over the last couple of years, Bolton Wanderers, who once had, you know, JJ Kocher, Yuri Jorkaev, Ivan Campo, and all of these kind of players for, playing for them in Europe yeah. under Sam Allardyce, Wigan Athletic, Won the FA Cup in, what, 2013? Yep. A couple of years after being sold by Dave Whelan, they're on the brink. If they don't find a, a buyer soon, then they could receive winding up orders. I think it's important people to have that context and it sink in. There are two issues going on here. 
the first one is, you know, pandemic aside, weirdly enough, because the pandemic's an important thing, but these problems preceded the pandemic. Mm. The first problem I think is, is one of just club ownership, but there's a wider cultural issue of, if I'm honest, working class towns kind of being left to rot. Yeah. And now when I say that, I think there's a kind of contempt. It's this weird thing, right? Like we live in a society where, where like not having much money is frowned upon. And that, I think that has accelerated as people become more desperate for money. We revere people that have it. We start to ascribe a certain genius to those who have it. And there's a savior complex we attach to them. Someone comes in, a big investor who's made a lot of money. We assume automatically, it's normally he. We assume this person must be a genius. They made a ton of money as opposed to thinking perhaps they just have skills, special skills that are rewarded by a capitalist system. Part of those special skills might actually just be managing to get debt packages together to load onto clubs, right? Mm. Which isn't particularly dexterous. They've been doing it for a while and that's all you care about. And so our reverence for money and our disdain, I say our as a society, disdain for working class towns creates this kind of toxic cocktail where we don't scrutinize those with money and we don't scrutinize what they're doing in communities that financially are most at risk. Yeah. I saw a thing the other day, I saw a podcast that really angered me actually. And it was talking about how artists weren't anti-capitalist enough or how they're hypocrites. I just like, you, don't, you missed the point. We're all in a capitalist system, right? Mm. You look at the pandemic now, people are desperate. And they're going to get even more desperate now. The government in the UK has just announced that fans now can't return to grounds in early October as was originally envisaged, right? So that growing desperation is making more and more people desperate for saviour. And we come back to Macclesfield and all these other clubs like Berry, because when you're desperate for saviour, when anyone offers you a glass of water, you'll take it. You will not ask if it's contaminated. And the absolute shame and the horror of what happened in Macclesfield is, you know, when these then these owners take over. I'm, I don't know if all of them take over with a negative intent. They like the idea of being in charge of a club, whatever, but they don't, they don't really understand the upkeep. It's like buying a, a mansion in the countryside, right? Then all of a sudden you see the service charges and all of a sudden you stop hosting dinner parties there because you've got this massive mansion in the countryside that you can't really afford. But then to keep up appearances, you keep plowing money into it and it becomes a kind of mania, right? Mm-hmm. And the only thing that stops that mania is really good checks and balances that go even if you were a fit and proper owner at the time of taking over, which I'm not sure that our caddy was in Maxwell's case, no. you've, you've stopped becoming one over time. You've stopped becoming one. And the really awful thing that happened to Macclesfield in this case, and this is a wider conversation as well, which goes into Germany too, is that at some point the restriction on one person owning more than 50% of the shareholding was lifted. Mm-hmm. And that's when the problem started because then you can send all the petitions you like, but they couldn't get this person out. And I want to, you know, you gave an excellent introduction. I wasn't interrupting because I thought you laid it out so well in terms of the positions. I'm just from the cultural context. This is really about, you know, this thing, this insidious thing that has sprung up, the concept of the crap town, mm. this insidious thing that sprung up about, you know, slagging off an area, criticizing an area. Like we all have it like, I'm, I'm, I lived in Croydon for three years. I joke about Croydon, but fundamentally I'll defend Croydon because that's a bunch of people just trying to get along. Mm-hmm. And towns like, you know, Luton, Grimsby, you know, towns that have struggled, it's no coincidence that those towns, the football clubs where those towns are, are also towns where we have, they haven't seen their fair share of development or investment, redevelopment. You know, you look, the most tragic thing, you look at Macclesfield and you look at the actual ground, right? And even the old photos, the images coming out, this beautiful uh, segment that Football Focus did on it. Uh, it's the old cliche, the club does not have a lick of paint. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Like even even on, a, on, on a basic level, the upkeep, right? On a basic level. I want to read the final paragraph from John Bruin's piece on The Guardian about Macclesfield. And he said, this, this final paragraph I thought was really 
really great. It said, the town of Macclesfield itself is, as the New Order drummer and Silkman fan, that's Macclesfield's nickname, the Silkman, Stephen Morris put it, a mill town that has lost the adjective thriving somewhere along the way. That's the end of the quote. Its high street is potmarked by boarded up shops, the football club, like the old majestic cinema and the many closed pubs on the London Road walk up to Moss Rose, the stadium, appears destined to become another lost community asset. And now this is something that I think is really important in the context of this, because we were chatting to the Ringer guys about this on a call the other day when we were talking about doing this episode and how, you know, US sports fans are very, very familiar with the prospect of having their franchise, their local franchise, suddenly moved to the other coast. Yeah. You know, we've seen it with multiple franchises or, you know, moved to another state. However, I think with football clubs in England, the league don't own the franchises of these clubs and they can't just pick and choose and sell them to anyone. They're often, well, they're all usually born out of a specific geographical location based on the people who are around there at the time. So like Manchester United, for example, founded by rail workers, Arsenal, founded by literally the men who worked at the Woolwich Arsenal. They are deeply rooted in their surroundings. And I think the thing that makes them so important is that they serve a deeper purpose than sport a lot of the time. And that's not to say that US sports franchises don't, but I think that the geographical location of these places, because there are so many of them, you know, the amount of football clubs that there are in in the UK compared to any other country in the world is just completely obscene for an island that small. And I think the thing that's really important with Macclesfield is that if you look at and Berry and Bolton and Wigan is that, and even like Sunderland, you know, who are struggling compared to where they should be for a club of that size, is that these places had maybe three things. If you, if you exclude the high street and pubs and stuff like that, they probably had a mill or a factory. They probably had a church and they had the football club. Quite often than not, or more often than not, these were the three large institutions where people in that area would gather. Right. And they obviously all serve very different purposes. And I think that the common thing that's happened in the UK specifically is that with the shutdown of industry, you've removed one element of identity from that town. We've talked about this before, but this is a common thing that was prevalent in the, in the Brexit referendum was that you have towns that were con- solely constructed around industry that didn't exist before a factory was built there that have had the very nucleus of their identity stripped away and there's nothing left. Right, yeah. I think this moves into football because bit by bit, rates have gone up and it's the death of the high street in the UK. Unfortunately, now what you're seeing is that football clubs have become like a stalwart store on a high street in some of these towns. Yeah. They're the next in line to fall after industry and retail. Yeah. The real sad thing for me is that often in a lot of these towns, and you see it with Sunderland as well, is that you know, they don't have the identity of being a miner or a factory worker or a mill worker you know, or a steel worker or working on, on a shipyard. The football club becomes the centrepiece of this identity and therefore it should take on way more importance than it does. Yeah. And the thing that really pisses me off about stuff like this, I'm not really against individual ownership of football clubs in theory. I think the problem that I have with it is that like you said really well, I think, you know, you get these wealthy owners coming in and buying football clubs that they just don't understand the context in which they, they exist. Yeah. This isn't buying Arsenal. This isn't buying Manchester United. This isn't buying Manchester City. This isn't buying a global super club that can kind of exist 
relatively speaking, outside the norms of day-to-day society. This is a northern mill town that is struggling anyway. The centrepiece of their identity now, i.e. the football club, has been wound up for the sake of £500,000. Some top-level footballers are earning more per week than it would have cost to save Macclesfield Town. Sorry, I'm going on a bit of a monologue here. No, but no, you I'm, and, li- I'm listening. Listen, it's, all, you, it's, all, it's all great. But, it's all great. But you and I have a tendency to really lean into the kind of romantic and emotional side of football, right? Because... But it's also a cultural and structural thing. It like, is cultural and structural, yeah. And it's, yeah. Such, it's, such a, it's such a core part of the makeup of certain people or certain towns or certain countries. Right. That I think that if you come in and you don't... Like Steve Dale at Berry is a prime example. Like Steve Dale has no real idea about how, like where Berry has come from, the context in which it exists, the importance of the town. And therefore, if you don't do that, you cannot run things solely off a balance sheet or you cannot run this as a vanity project because this is like wanting to go to, for these kind of people yeah. who are coming in to buy these football clubs, they want to exist in a luxury rooftop panoramic bar. And what they're actually ending up in is a dive bar with a fuckload of vibe. Yeah. Do you know, does that make sense? That's, Absolutely. It's like, it's like, you're going to have way more fun at these football clubs, but you're not going to look as flashy doing it. And they kind of don't really get that, I think, a lot of the time. Yeah. And, at the end of the day, it is the same thing that we're seeing on a global political level. The owners don't suffer. The owners get away with it. They can be as reckless as they like. It's the people who have been there the longest, who are committed to it, who have to deal with the aftermath because half the time the owners don't even live in the area. This sounds very brexit but well, it's no, not. No, I mean, because it's, because it's, Leic- it's, Leicester's a good example. Yeah, Leicester, Leicester is a good example, but I think, well, let's yeah. come on to that in a little bit because right, we can right. see the parallels with the Premier League. Right, you know? right, right. This is the thing where you're operating on that level mm. and you really buy into it. It can work, but this, I think that when you go down the pyramid a lot of the time, I don't think people realise how, like, right. how much work there is involved. It's an extension of what we're seeing at the moment, for example, with the random scatterbrain kind of like half-assed COVID lockdown measures that are happening in the UK. Right. No one really gives a shit about the people that it's genuinely affecting. And they are always the last to be considered and they are always the first to suffer. And this Macclesfield Town, along with Berry last season and Bolton and Wigan and numerous other examples, they're the latest version of this story. This episode is brought to you by State Farm. You might say all kinds of stuff when things go wrong, but these are the words you really need to remember. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. They've got options to fit your unique insurance needs, meaning you can talk to your agent to choose the coverage you need, have coverage options to protect the things you value most, file a claim right on the State Farm mobile app, and even reach a real person when you need to talk to someone. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. I was just mentioning Leicester as a good example of owners who came and understood the context, not necessarily like being in Leicester all the time, but just understanding the context. But one thing I want to talk about in relation to Brexit and the referendum, because this is important to say, whichever way you voted, right, in this whole thing, I think there's a big element. And I say that as someone that grew up in the town of West Drayton, which was, I mean, usually is really where I grew up, which is sort of a really small, uh, Ronnie Wood, Rolling Stones grew up there, but that's about it. Tiny town, working class. I would say predominantly white working class, but working class uh, for the most part when I was growing up. And there's this concept of abandonment, which we look at in the UK in relation to, to Brexit. And there was a concept of things not possibly getting worse. 
Now, as someone whose family came from a place where things could get worse and did, I always looked at this kind of referendum vote and thought, do you know what actually like it can get worse as horrifying as things are here? I think that was a big element as well of like a lot of, you know, this old thing about migrants coming in and taking our jobs. There was a lot of that. Don't get me wrong. There's a lot of that. Now, I think on a human level, not just the economic level, there was the economic thing of these people are getting jobs that we should be getting. And that's part of it. The virtues of migration have explained, but also there's another aspect of a lot of the migrants who come into towns it's the very dynamic lifestyles in terms of they move in a couple of generations, they could be gone, right? Some are long-term residents of these areas, but some come and go. And there is, I think, an element of, and I'm not judging the resentment because resentment is just a thing that we feel as humans. There would have been a lot of resentment, a lot of the time towards a lot of people coming into these areas, getting an education and then moving out and, then like, and, and, and you're still there, three, four generations in, you're still there. And this is an English class thing. I always felt that primarily Brexit for all its causes I primarily feel it's a conversation with the English class system with itself. It's a conversation, in my opinion, primarily between white people in the UK at different levels of the class structure. Mm-hmm. And it's laughing at small towns. It's calling people in these small towns, names which I will not repeat on this podcast because they don't deserve to be on here, but you know, yeah, class related insults and all of this stuff, this toxic mix of looking down at, at, at people with less money and less resources leads us to this. Because in an area like Macclesfield, Macclesfield is not off the radar, right? In fact, none of these towns are off the radar. You know, the UK actually is very well connected by road, if not not by train. Well, Macclesfield is on one of the main train lines in the UK. So people see it. People see clubs like Darlington, which had its own problems. You know, people see all these clubs. But the problem is in the UK, there's this fundamental disconnect. And you can talk about, it's about all the jobs being put in London and like the kind of the big shiny attraction of the big city and like, you know, Macclesfield being an unsexy place, so you can kind of let it go to, you know, let, it, let, it, let natural selection take its course. But here's the thing, right? Natural selection is coming for all of football now, partly because of this ownership structure, partly because of the pandemic, partly because of inequality in football. And here's why a Super League, in my opinion, should be resisted, because it ends up like Amazon. Mm-hmm. You end up with like a few super clubs that leech and that manage to sustain some kind of quality and interest because just because football's so big, Huge clubs making the calculation that they are fundamentally going to be fine because you're always going to get a critical mass of people wanting to play football. So the cynical thing is, this is the horrible thing, my opinion is, and my gut feeling, is there are people within football already who've been like, yeah, we can afford to let these lot go to the wall. Yeah. We can afford to let a significant, and not, not just Macclesfield, not specific to them, as, as sympathetic as I am to their plight. And there's actually there's an amazing piece by... Um, Mike Murphy about Macclesfield, if you want to know more, it's on, um, sorry, Mark Murphy. Uh, I think it's 200%.com, which really helped me inform myself about this in greater depth and detail. I also want to shout out our friend, Mash St. Paddy. Yeah. Mash St. Patrick Hewitt. He wrote a great piece about his beloved Bromley on londonfootballscene.co.uk. Yeah. Maybe we'll follow up a couple of these on Twitter with the links. One thing I think I find really interesting, it kind of goes back to what I was saying before, like the parallels between big business and this and industry are startling. Yeah. For example, if it was Arsenal that was, was going under, because of its location, because of the amount of people that it employs and because of the amount that it generates for economies on match days. I saw a stat the other day saying that the average Premier League game generates, I think in total, around an average of £20 million per match day, nationally and, and locally. Huge. If someone like Arsenal was going to the wall, you'd sure as hell know that the government would step in somewhere. 
And this extends to what we were saying about towns like Macclesfield or Bury or Bolton or Wigan or Sunderland. And the parallel that I've always, I've, I draw is, is of Bolsover, which was such a key town in the Brexit referendum, famously held by Dennis Skinner, who was an ex-miner. And it had gone labour for years. It was always labour. But Bolsover was basically built around a, a mine. The mine went and was replaced with a sports direct factory after years and years of no jobs, who were offering zero hours contracts, nowhere near the level of pay, nowhere near the level of pension, nowhere near the level of benefits, and nowhere near the level of pride because it was like borderline inhumane working conditions. Yeah. And this is a really key thing that goes back to identity. When you were a miner, you had a job for life. Good, honest work, that kind of really traditional British, like, I'm a miner, this is solid, it's dangerous work, and it's not the most pleasant working conditions. But you were well paid, it was stable, you had a good pension, you were set for life. That's a stability there that got completely pulled out from underneath the population of multiple towns in Northern England and regional Britain. Yeah. And it was never replaced. Never. The football clubs for a lot of these towns are basically the latest thing to be pulled from underneath the feet of these people. And in my opinion now, especially with the COVID thing that's going on, I know that there are talks, there's an, I think there's an, a meeting scheduled maybe for October sometime. But this now, without sounding over the top, but English football specifically is facing an absolute crisis because if we're not careful, I don't think the amount of clubs that will go under will be in the tens. You could possibly see it becoming hundreds. These clubs have lived hand to mouth for decades a lot of the time because they've right. just been abandoned. There aren't any real major support systems in place by the footballing bodies and they're kind of just left on their own to service their little community because to the powers that be, they're not really that important enough. Right, yep. In my opinion, it's criminal. You've got an institution here that's over a century old. They are just left to fend for themselves in, at a time where the top clubs in the Premier League, which is the richest league in the world, albeit they're struggling as well, they've got their own problems to face. However, they're on a different level. I mean, you've seen it with the, English, with the Football League. The Football League have implemented a salary cap for League Two and League One. Right. That's staggered over the next year or so, and, it's a, and it includes a reduction of squad size so that players can, you know, don't have to all be on about £1,000 a month or something like that. That's great in theory, but you're implementing that into a system that's kind of used to running how it is. Yeah. So it really restricts massive clubs because it's not done on a percentage, it's done on an actual figure. It really restricts clubs who have got their shit together now, like Portsmouth, who are trying to work their way back up through the divisions. And I think this is one of those things where I don't really have what the answer of how it should be fixed, but it's another thing of English football in bodies like the Premier League and the Football League and the National League, running away with things and not really worried about it because they never thought that their bubble could be burst. And something's come along and it's burst it. And Can, it's I be harsher? Can I be harsh here? How much money did the British government spend on apps for tracing that don't and work. masks that don't work? That don't work. Money was made available out of nowhere. Contracts were tendered with no supervision for things that don't work. Now, I've been criticised before 
by actually good friends of mine for being too critical of the government. Listen, here's the thing, right? We are very, very good in the UK at bailing out. And just globally, we're very good at bailing out sectors when needs be. Okay, we're very good at that. We're very good at letting people keep their money when those people have run industries into the ground. There is a lot of money in the economy, maybe not as much as we'd like, but there's a lot of money to bail out franchises, to bail out organizations like Berry. If anyone is telling me that Macclesfield had no recourse to any public funds, if anyone's telling me there was really no money anywhere in the UK government for Macclesfield, I'll have to call them a liar. Like, we have to look at the concept of bailing out clubs in the same way we look at the concept of bailing out specific industries. It's the same thing. Like, and people can call me idealistic and wishy-washy and the rest of it, but here's the thing, Ryan, like after a while, when you see enough of those interviews with people who are actually struggling, when you look at those people going up and down the country, supporting the club for 40 years, their pride, and we talk so much about identity politics in the UK, identity politics is the big problem, it's the big threat. If we really cared so much about identity politics in the UK, we would do a lot more to protect the identity of these towns and the dignity of these people. If we really, really, really cared, we'd give a lick of paint to football grounds. You know, we'd invest in retraining for people from different generations who trained in one thing. Mm-hmm. We'd look at the move of the online space, you know, the online office space is replacing the high street. And we'd look at ways to actually get people working in different ways. We'd look at universal basic incomes. And this is the thing, when you suggest this stuff to people, Ryan, they think you've got three heads. I was talking mm. to a friend of mine because we're so conditioned. We're so conditioned by the world we work in being fair. We don't think it's fair really, but we have to do it because we're, we're locked into it, Ryan. Like, you know, you and I have to pay our rent, pay our bills, pay our health insurance. And so what happens is what creeps in time after time is this kind of like, do you know what? I'll muck along and work hard and make my way. Mm-hmm. And so I, it's when you, so it's got, you've got friends like mine, I won't name names, but you know, a few months ago, we have a long conversation about the expensive things. And I said, you know what you could do? How about, let's say someone buys five properties in an area, either restrict the maximum amount of properties so one person could buy in an area or tax them progressively on each new purpose. So for each new property you buy, you have to pay a higher percentage of tax on it. So that stops you kind of having a monopoly on, it's just a simple idea. You know, he called me a communist. This is a friend who's been arguing about the expensive property and all the rest of it. And the second I say to him, people should be taxed on, taxed more on uh, progressive home ownership. He was like, no, because he wants to, ho- he wants to have his little property empire. He wants to own three or four or five flats because he wants to be financially safe. Yeah. But this is the thing. It's like this, and this goes towards football, like just kind of linking it back into football. Yeah, of course. It's the need and want thing. Like you want five properties, not you, but, who, yeah. whichever this individual is. But Macclesfield Town need £500,000. Right. They can't even afford to pay the, you know, to paint the stadium. Another club, same thing, Southend United, similar amount of money facing a similar fate. I want to draw a comparison with, with Germany and the Bundesliga who like are far from perfect, the DFL, but the four Champions League clubs from last season came together, external from the DFL, on their own back, provided a solidarity fund to filter down through the leagues to keep smaller clubs afloat. It could have been more. Yeah, more clubs could have joined in. Absolutely. But the Bundesliga isn't dealing with the kind of money that the Premier League is dealing with. Or the Championship, which is a massively rich league, you know, compared to, say, the Zweite Bundesliga. That's genuine solidarity. Yeah, they could do more. 
but this came from the clubs themselves. You don't see any of this coming from the Premier League clubs. You could easily have each Premier League club could donate £100,000 here and you've got Macclesfield safe and profitable with money to spare and able to kind of get themselves afloat again. The problem is you can't do this for every single club. So what you have to do, I think, moving forward, this has to happen because otherwise you're not going to have many small clubs left. There has to be either a reduction of the TV money that gets paid out to Premier League and Championship and Championship clubs that has to go into a central pot that has to get distributed down the pyramid. It just has to. If you call me a communist or you call me a socialist, then fuck it. I'm a communist and I'm a socialist because I care too much about these football clubs that I don't even have any connection to. But the reason that I do is because I've been to these towns. Like my little brother went to uni in Bolton. I've been to the Reebok Stadium. Well, when it was the Reebok Stadium, I've been to Macclesfield. I've been to places like Altering. I've been to these small grounds in the UK. You know, my dad goes and watches Worthing they provide such an important part of that community. Right. But they also provide livelihoods for people. You're talking about footballers here who are on a very modest wage anyway, losing their jobs. And again, the yeah. thing that really pisses me off, and I'll reiterate this point, is that the people who get hurt the most with all of this are the people who have had nothing to do with it. And the Premier League and the FA and the Football League have to do something here because if they don't and I don't want to sound too kind of like you know old school kind of harking back to the past but you're ripping away the very soul of English football and it's the thing that the top clubs dine out on because none of them have got that soul anymore that you feel lower down the pyramid they do in some elements sure but you can't when you're dealing with corporate structures you cannot maintain that element of soul compared to the clubs that are really, really struggling. Yeah. Again, though, the towns that these things are happening, there's a massive parallel in terms of how little centralised government cares about those areas anyway. Right, right. Yep, yep. Absolutely. Sorry, I've been going on a while and I get ranty here, but I want to draw a parallel with um, a club that I actually bought shares in called Real Mercia when they basically had a terrible owner left them with loads of debt and they did this campaign very much like Abar and Oviedo, I think Oviedo did it, where they crowdsourced shares globally. An amazing scheme. You know, then they released more shares to buy. I didn't buy that many. It's not like I'm a majority owner or anything. But collectively, with everyone around the world, it stabilized the football club. In some small part, I've helped save that football club. I, I just don't understand that in scenarios like this, there can't be a directive from the Football League or from the people in power to say, right, instead of just winding these clubs up, you essentially do a similar thing. Yeah. You crowdsource with someone at at the helm and it just keeps them alive because I'm sure there are some legal and some business factors that probably restrict that. But there's always a way, and we've said this before, haven't we? It's like you don't have to have either or. You don't have to have this completely communist structure throughout football to make it succeed you can have the big clubs you can have the big money you can have the big signings and you can fucking have the big wages if you want but you can also have a distribution of wealth that props up the smaller clubs that aren't able to tap into those revenues on the scale that the big clubs are and this is all look and what you said is all this is spot well i i think it's spot on and 
my frustration with this subject and, you know, that conversation with my friend as well, I'm suggesting very mild reforms to a capitalist system that he buys into. Mm. And then his response is to be like, you're promoting something radical. And to be honest, I, part of me was like, well, I wish I had actually been communist in my recommendations. No, 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 weird, no, weird, no, here's the thing, here's the thing. Like, what's that George Orwell quote in times of um, universal deception, telling the truth is a revolutionary act. And in a time of universal denial about the scale of the problem, talking about it is a revolutionary act. Like mm-hmm. talking about it, about the extent of it. And look, I, you've made that point very well about Mercia, what can be done to rescue clubs. And I think it's right. It's about, it's bigger than rescuing clubs, as, as you rightly state. It's about rescuing communities. Yeah. And what is so frustrating to me, I, I, wrote, I wrote on Twitter a few uh, days ago, I said, it's just beyond me. I cannot understand the people that own clubs and have contempt for football. Yeah. And a lot of people replied to me like, money, money, money. I said, stop that. Don't point out to me what I already know. I know people own these clubs because of money. What I'm saying is I cannot understand the emotional process. I cannot understand the kind of human that listens to supporters at Macclesfield that looks them on TV and feels nothing. That frightens me, Ryan. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. That, yeah, I, I, I get this. I look at that and I go, how can you walk into a club and have contempt for individuals, people of all ages, genders, people are in tears, people are horrified, people are like, they just want their club back. And you look at that and you feel nothing. To me, do you know that, you know what it reminded me of actually, Ryan? It's trumping. It's, it's, an abu- it's an emotionally abusive relationship. Yeah. It's emotional. It's actually like all the things we talk about, like sort of, you know, in different contexts about consent between people and how to treat people and how not to. I look at that and just go, oh my goodness, this is, yeah, it's very trumping. It's this joy of power and control. And Amar Akadi, you see that there was a joy, there was a power and control. There was you know, making interest-free loans, not being clear how much he was investing, stringing people along, stepping down as a chairman, saying he was going to sort it. The thrill of being important, the thrill of not relinquishing control. These things go deeper than football. Yep. These things speak to our wider political and cultural moment. And they're just so upsetting. They really are. There are examples of people turning this around. I think Portsmouth are a prime example, but they had to really, really go through it. Yeah. I just have so much sympathy with the people of these various towns who the football clubs are at the center of, you know, their communities and they're facing a real threat. We said at the beginning of the pandemic that we hope football comes out of this and learns. And I don't think it is. And also I want to throw in something towards, and you know, people are going to mega eye roll here, but this is on the government too, because they have fucked about with the response to COVID. Do you know what? Remember when Matt Hancock came out and said footballers need to do their bit at the beginning? Yes, yes. You know what? They need to step up and do their bit. They haven't done shit. Yeah. I would recommend anyone who isn't familiar with just how chaotic the lockdown measures are or have been currently, especially in the north of England, what a surprise. Go and check it out. It's confusing, it's chaotic, and it's dangerous. And this is extended into football now because you're restricting small clubs' ability to let fans back into the stadium to generate much-needed revenue to survive. People at the very top really need to sort this out because it's inexcusable. And one thing I would just finally say is that if we do have anyone listening who is close to either Macclesfield Town or Bury or Southend United or Bolton or Wigan or any of these clubs that are going through something like this, drop us an email, stadiofootball.gmail.com. Let us know if there's anything that we can highlight in terms of fan schemes or fundraising things or anything like that because 
you know, it's the least we can do, right? Right, absolutely. And also for us, it would just be really great to know. Yeah. Do you think we've, uh, do you think we've ranted enough? Yeah. <laughs> All right, man, should we leave it there? Yeah, let's do it. In this bonus episode. Sorry if this was a little bit negative. We just wanted to talk about it because it's been something that we've seen a lot. It's on our mind. It affects certain people in parts of the country that we're very familiar with. And to be honest, it just needs to stop. Yeah. Thanks for bearing with us. We're going to be back on Thursday with a normal episode. Don't forget, we still got that bumper episode from Monday that you can listen to. Oh my goodness. Yeah. Great, great work on that. That was a... <laughs> <laughs> that was a hell of an edit. Yeah. Do you want to say anything before we get out, Musa? As long as there's tap water in my bottle, there's hope and there's still tap water. So um, <laughs> oh, just try and dear. maintain that hope of your own, everyone. Maintain your own hope. <laughs> Don't forget, you can check us on Twitter at Stadio, on Instagram at Stadio Football. Musa is at Okwongo. I am at Ryan Hun. And Stadio.Football is our website, theringer.com forward slash sucker is the website that we also write for. You may have heard of it, The Ringer. <laughs> If you want to email us, stadiofootball at gmail.com. Playing out on a bit of a melancholic one. Playing out on Fall of Saigon, track called So Long. Stay safe and well, everyone. Take care and we'll be back on Thursday. Take care. So long, my dearest friend. I've known you for so long. I'll never see you the same. But tell me. So